Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hi, this is Lindy Kaiser with ClearanceJobs.com, and welcome to this episode of ClearCast. Today, I'm joined by longtime listener, first-time guest, Eric Pekinovsky, who is our Vice President of Marketing. He's actually been the VP of Clearance Jobs as long as I've been around, Eric, for the company. And it's your first time being on the podcast, though, so thank you for joining me today. Well, no, thank you, because ultimately, I never felt like I could contribute much to your podcast, because you're usually in a sphere that I do not feel like I have the expertise like you and your guests. But now, when you're diving into a little bit of cinema... I feel like I can contribute a little bit here. Oh yeah, I should have introduced the topic first, but I want to int- I'm start with first things first, Eric, introducing you because you're the most important part of this. But the reason we're doing this podcast is because we've both been geeking out about Oppenheimer, the movie. I finally watched it. You you watched it quicker than I did. It did take a time investment of the three hours to find the time for the movie. I am not a cinema buff, so this is a good like point counterpoint for us. I am a bibliophile, but I don't usually watch movies. I can tell you nothing about film, but you actually are both a security clearance aficionado because you've been with clearance jobs for a number of years and a movie buff, correct? Correct. You kept giving me a hard time about there not being spoilers because we know that the bomb goes off. But does this podcast have spoilers and is it possible to have spoilers in a historical movie, I would still think so. Like if you're talking about things that happen in the film, do you not want to like learn all about it before you watch it? Or in this case, because you know, you know that the bomb goes off, it doesn't matter. Let's, let's talk. I would need to like, we need to like lay the ground rules. Are there spoilers in this podcast? Can there be spoilers? Okay. My opinion, and I stick with my initial opinion, is that there are no spoilers. The only spoiler that I think I would have had if I hadn't learned about it up front was something that you actually wrote about on the site, which is the risque scenes involving his mistress. If that would have jumped off at me, if I was watching the movie, I'm like, oh, I would have, I wasn't ready expecting that. So that would probably be the only thing that like I would have not expected. Yeah. In terms of spoilers, I, I obviously didn't know some of the details. I knew the rough story about it. I knew kind of what happened with his security clearance and obviously the bomb and all that, but it was a very at a high level. I had no idea about his whole red scare, losing his security clearance. My knowledge of Oppenheimer kind of stopped after he made the bomb. And I didn't know about it until we had an article on the site about kind of the movie coming out and his security clearance revocation. And that was, like you said, months back. But I would say previously, my like my history knowledge before, I did not know about the security clearance hearing portion of it. But it was very interesting because literally half of the movie was about his security clearance being revoked and that history. Did you know that prior to the article on clearance jobs? I did, actually. I knew that it was basically done, yes, like you said, from a red scare, a little bit of politics in there. We can dive into the security clearance part of this film if you'd like now, because I've got lots to say. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, Don't wait. Hot okay. takes. Tell me now, Eric. Okay. Yes. From that standpoint, I found a couple things that jumped out at me as I started thinking about this for our podcast. 
you know, a couple things came out. One was you saw in the beginning where it was, I think, General Groves was talking about he knew about Oppenheimer's kind of circles that he was in. A lot of it left leaning, some of it communist right out. A lot of those ideas were pretty common in the 1930s. It wasn't that you know obscure at all. And he was the one who initially, if you remember, even in the film, they kind of mentioned the fact that his clearance was dragging and dragging. And he couldn't get it approved, couldn't get it. And then finally what they assumed or what they pushed the narrative on the film was that Groves kind of pushed it through, right? That he had a lot of sketchy background about who he kind of circled with, but this was the man that he wanted. So he was going to just, you know, add a couple phone calls to people and kind of got it through and over the opinion probably of low-level security officers. And I think we can actually apply that to today in that when you're trying to get the best and brightest, you sometimes have to make exceptions. And that seems to be definitely the case around the Manhattan Project, because what a lot of those scientists, scientists not necessarily were communist members, but again, they definitely circled around those circles. They went to meetings that would be considered communist leaning. And a lot of that stuff was kind of saying, yes, that is an issue, but we have a greater project that we need to complete. So I thought that was very interesting and can be applied to today's world where you've got things around, like, for instance, I think the main thing that I know something that you write a lot about is, you know, marijuana. Um, some of the best tech folks, a lot of them prefer marijuana versus alcohol, you know, and the question is, is that really the stance that you want to take? Yes or no. And if you do, you're going to lose out a lot. Same with foreign entanglements as well. You know, when you're talking about people who want to be the best in terms of experts in, in foreign policy and you do end up those people tend to have a lot of foreign entanglements by default so it is something that you can definitely relate to today's world yeah no for sure and i mean it it ties in to current events pretty pretty tight i would say when it comes to academia and the issues right now with obtaining a security clearance and like you said it's applicable just because the security clearance process is not cut and dry around a lot of issues and political leanings are going to be one of them. And that's where it's super unfortunate with the revocation because it just kind of shows like the changing perceptions around him and his own policies are what actually cost him a security clearance. So it's like they needed his knowledge, you know, to build the bomb. And then once it was over, they no longer really agreed with his perspective, which probably was not really any different. And that was one of the things I thought the acting in the movie was fantastic. And again, I'm not, I don't actually know other films that these people are in other than Matt Damon, obviously, so, you know, <laughs> Matt Damon, but like, I don't know a lot of the, you know, I'm not a cinema buff, but I thought every character was portrayed like super well. And you saw how, like you said, Groves pushing it through and then Strauss wanting it to be removed. Like individual folks have, could have a pretty significant influence just on one person's ability to obtain a security clearance. Well, and like you said, when they finally flash forward to when they were having the hearing, there was a couple of interesting parts. One, you know, his background really never changed. I mean, he was the same person, really what he at least was applied in the film. And I, I think historically, you know, was was documented that he was kind of going against the kind of government policy of more bombs, bigger bombs, and we can't stop. And he was kind of pushing back on that. And a lot of people did not really agree with that. Plus, he had made just some enemies in the past as well. And then the Red Scare, and that all kind of built up to the fact that we can get this guy removed from conversations that influence government policy. One of my favorite parts of the film is how heavily they relied on the actual historical data. And it's based on a biography that was a Pulitzer Prize winning biography of Oppenheimer. And it's super interesting. But like the fact that he was in that hearing room for like something like 27 hours, 
they visually showed that very well, different people coming in and testifying. So I just think about for me, it makes me feel very sad about the process. Now I need I need Perry Russell Hunter to tell me that doesn't happen anymore. And I actually know it does. It doesn't happen anymore. But we have due process around it now. And I think that's a, a good sign of like the way that they handled this at that time was awful. But to think about having intimate details of your life and having all of these character references show up. And it really was a weird confluence of like a criminal hearing, but not criminal at all because it was just a policy, you know, procedural hearing. And again, I think they showed that really well. And I think people would be surprised to know that, I mean, that happened. That's not how it should happen or how it happens today, but probably because of his his role and his prominence and the way, again, it was very politically motivated to remove his eligibility. It was... 27 hours and the film like they pulled a lot of dialogue straight from those hearings and that is one thing that amazed me i didn't realize how quickly it happened but within a year the transcript was released to the public he was under the assumption that this was a private hearing and everything was confidential and that uh, only the people who would need to know would read these transcripts and like within a year it was released publicly and so like you just said his whole life was out there in these transcripts And if the three-hour movie isn't enough, or I'm guessing, Lindy, the book is like 300 pages. I don't know how long it is that you are reading. 500 pages, Eric. I'm in it to win it. Okay, 500 500 pages. pages. If that's not enough for you, online, you can find all 27 hours of transcripts online and read question and answer, question and answer, and probably take you, I don't know, a few weeks or a few months or whatever to read read all thousands and thousands of pages of transcripts. like a character assassination that part of it does it is like it does you know make you very frustrated to watch just because he was brilliant and he made a significant contribution and regardless of how you feel about that like i have some friends who are like i don't like the atomic bomb i'm not gonna see the movie i'm like well that's i don't think it's like a pro atomic bomb film i think you can still watch it but whatever but regardless of how you felt about it or feel about his story watching that and seeing like what the character assassination piece of it that happened. Yeah, it was super painful to watch and to think about. And to know that, again, that's all, that shell should be covered by the Privacy Act, theoretically. But this was just, the Red Scare was truly the wild, wild west. So I feel like I do have to have like a disclaimer here, Eric. This is not how the process is today. That ties into one of my, this is security clearance, you know, clearancejobs.com. We, we like our security <laughs> clearance professionals. But that ties into like, do you think this film is we've I've seen several debates about this online. You think it's like good for national security? It's certainly generating a ton of interest in the box office. You think it's good for national security hiring or what does a film like this do for our industry? You know, I think actually, you know, I'm going to give the the lawyer answer of like, it depends on the way you look at it. On one hand, like you said, the way that he was treated would obviously kind of push you off. But again, that was in the 50s, like you said, Red Scare. I mean, it was just a very different time. There weren't due process a lot. There were, you know, privacy standards around a lot of things. So it's just, it's changed a lot. But what I do think it did show, which we push a lot on clearance jobs, is the mission that you're part of. And he was really, really committed to this project and knew that they had to be first over anybody else in the world to make this happen because, you know, they alluded to in the film, you know, with nuclear fission happening and the academic paper, it was just a matter of time for other scientists in other countries to put two and two together and and it was going to happen. And it was just a matter of who was going to get there first. And that really drove him 
And he was on, you know, obviously the cutting edge of a lot of science, you know, was very, very influential and, you know, made a difference. And I think that can be applied to many positions within the cleared world. I'm same. I, I, again, I'm in marketing. So I feel like there's no such thing as bad press. I'm going to lean heavily into that mindset. And I do think watching the film, you get the notion of like how the most brilliant minds came together to solve this big problem. I think the national security community is trying to make that same case today for what's going on and struggling with the same problems, right? Like I just got off a call with like NATO and uh, the Five Eyes countries talking about information sharing and personnel sharing. And it was just kind of reminding me of that we were having this conversation right after because there is a lot of tie in there with saying, hey, what if you're from another country or you have this knowledge, like how do we share our best and brightest? Because that was a big part of Oppenheimer's issue that came up in the hearings too, is like he had traveled internationally a lot. He had like, he had professionally interacted with people from these now hostile countries to the U.S. And so you pretty much have the same dynamic now. So what do you do with the person who has developed their institutional knowledge overseas and now comes back and literally has the exact knowledge set that you need, but you still have to find a way to vet them. So for me, it does. Too, it shows the importance of the mission. It shows also to the complexity because it is very difficult to figure out who is the Oppenheimer who you want to give a security clearance to and who has a lot of international entanglements, but still has a close allegiance or alliance to the U.S. And how do you figure out like the Robert Hansons who are just going to steal your secrets for decades and you're not going to know? It is a very difficult problem. I, I don't have, like you said, I, I, I think it is a balance. And that goes back to kind of the, the diversity or, or getting the best and the brightest and having to make exceptions is it's always going to be a balance. And I don't think anyone knows what the balance is. And like you said, it sometimes depends just on the person. The person on paper could look perfect and no foreign entanglements and, you know, uh, lived a somewhat normal, you know, life of always in the U.S., no foreign connections, no travel, et cetera. And then, like you said, turns out to be Robert Hansen's situation. And, you know, for other reasons, you know, they commit espionage. It's a tough balancing act to pull for the personnel vetting program. But I think what you see is like anytime you look at something and it's like politically motivated like this, I don't know. I hope I hope that today we do better than this. And I think we do. I think we have due process around it. I think I think sometimes we lack maybe the efficiency to quickly onboard all of the people that we need. But I don't think I do think we live with more transparency, certainly than we did back then in the sense of. You potentially, I would hope, wouldn't see this happening. Although, again, a part of the reason that probably with Oppenheimer, I did like the dynamics between his wife that you had during the film because she really wanted him to fight. I think his perspective was just that he wanted to keep, I don't know if he had confidence in the process. I think it's just personality comes into it with a lot of this. And he just let the cards fall where they were. And because he didn't play the political game, probably, and like lobby people to advocate for him, he ended up losing his security clearance. So... Yeah, I would like to think that that couldn't happen today. Although as I verbally process it, I'm pretty sure it could if somebody was not willing to advocate for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think it mentioned a few times. I can't remember if it was in the movie. It's kind of blurring me. I mentioned to you, Lydia, that I watched a documentary after this. But the fact that he was a little bit naive, not a very good bureaucrat, sometimes opened his mouth and said things he probably shouldn't have that made enemies and, you know, other instances like that. So I think he was a little naive to think that what he said meant nothing when in fact it did. I, I did think of something that, again, not significant, 
but something that I did not know and I loved learning, which was how did we end up in Los Alamos? He had land there. Exactly. I never knew that. The fact that he had such a strong connection to New Mexico, like you said, had a ranch there, had always gone out there, loved to ride horses. I mean, think about that father of the atomic bomb and they also likes to ride ride horses in New Mexico. I didn't realize that that's how kind of he pushed for it to be there because he loved being in the New Mexico desert. I had no clue that that was what happened. When you think about it though, it was the perfect location. I mean, you know, I think he was doing his research, you know, in Berkeley and in California at the time. And like, you're not, you know, where are you going to, there were a lot of researchers that were based in these on these university campuses and in these major, you know, metropolitan areas. And he probably had an idea in his head, like if we're going to build a giant bomb, where can we actually test it and set it off? And the desert was a place. I find that like very altruistic of him because if I was him, because he had this longstanding, I mean, he had owned land in that area for a long time. It was kind of his like personal oasis I was shocked that he would. I wonder if he knew it was going to turn into like a major military epicenter when he did that. I don't know. Did your documentary address that? I still I haven't got to that part of the book. I don't know how he felt about. No, no, it, it didn't address that. I hope he got a good like cash incentive. Not that he needed the money because he came from an affluent family. But it was very interesting that, yeah, he used his own like personal land as and suggested it as the place where they ended up building this. And now it's kind of a very significant historical and military area because of that random connection that he had. Do we want to touch on, I know this could be sensitive because I'm sure we do not like to partake in conspiracy theories, but do we want to mention the part where his mistress, Jean, where she had committed suicide and there seemed to have been a flash of a hand in that scene? Oh, yeah. See, this is what I would consider a spoiler, Oh, Eric. Sorry. Right? No, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, no, I think that's interesting. And I, I have not gone down the rabbit trail. I mean, it seems like they, they documented clearly that she had, she struggled with depression and she was a very depressed and kind of, this was just known. So I think the notion of like, why would somebody have killed her, Eric? Well, so. It's the conspiracy theory. I know. So here, hold on. Let me, you know, I can save you going through the rabbit hole. Lindy, because I don't know if you'll be surprised or not, but I went down this rabbit hole and there was some interesting, again, it's obviously coincidences at this point, nothing obviously established, more so just you nod your head and you go, interesting. So do you remember Casey Affleck in his role? And he was the, at the time, Army Counterintelligence. He had done a brief interview with Oppenheimer talking about, have you had any contacts or been approached? And that was part of the reason why he kind of got into additional trouble is because he said that his friends were approached, but not him. And he had, I believe, testified against Oppenheimer. In any case, this same guy, and his name was Bash, he eventually turned up in the church committee during the 1970s, <laughs> the CIA uh, investigations, which, which was interesting to me about him being part of potentially some of the sketchy stuff that was going on in the in the 60s and 50s. The CIA doesn't kill people, Eric. <laughs> I know. Don't tell me that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a big conspiracy theory person. So I'm I'm definitely more the depressed mix of medication and 
I mean, the the film did take a. Mo- I'm not. I I have not again read enough about it. So you 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 have probably out researched me on this, like to know what the details of her death were and how suspicious it was. Because I did I did get the takeaway that it was like a, a somewhat inconclusive, which I suppose could lend itself to conspiracy theories around it. I think your words were correct in that it was legitimate, but also kind of unique in the way that she did it. So again, possible, unique, no other evidence so you just kind of go on i'm gonna say it wasn't but i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna dig into this one a little bit more see who knew oppenheim man full of rabbit trails for us but i agree with you in what you initially said which was why would she need to be killed anyway like i don't I, I don't really see a good argument as to why the issue around i mean so much of the research at that time and that was like you saw how i did appreciate how the film talked about and because so much of it ties into like our current intelligence sharing apparatus right they have several times where they're talking about how they were trying to build the atomic bomb with like these stovepipes of information and the key compartmentalization right we know that word all the time in the ic and they kept talking about compartmentalization and Oppenheimer kept like bulldozing through the compartmentalization and meeting with different people. And it just shows like the way that the security clearance process is built and works typically flies directly in the face of innovation and research and advancement. And so we kind of always have this a, a bit of a tension point. And I think that's why now we have this like big rise in OSINT, right? Like we want to do more with open open source because then they can they can bulldoze through all of those compartmentalizations that you have in the IC. But yeah, if you're a security clearance nerd, I mean, I feel like you're going to nerd out in so many parts of this film because if you've worked in the intelligence community at any point or followed it, you're going to see so many things that are like, oh, that that is, that's how it's done. That's like a pain point. And like, that's actually how they did things differently to act, to accomplish what they were trying to accomplish. I And I thought the film did a good job of being true to the actual story and narrative around that. Eric, so if you're a cinema guy, I'm not. Is how does this compare to other Christopher Nolan films? Can we talk to that a little bit? I don't I don't even know any other films that he has done. Well, you may know, you just may not realize you know. I would say for me personally, I am a little bit biased toward historical kind of cinema. I would say that for me, this probably ranks in the top three. I would say I still love Dunkirk the most. And then it's probably Interstellar and then Oppenheimer. Have you seen any of those, Lindy? I've seen Interstellar. Yes. I've not seen Dunkirk. It's I've heard of it. It's on my list. I know. I just don't watch I'm not a good I'm not good at movies. I did see the Barbie movie though, which I heard you have you seen the Barbie movie yet, Eric? I have not, no. Oh, the one thing that we didn't address when it comes to this movie, I knew it was gonna be good. I knew not only the reviews. But uh, Christopher Nolan never puts out a really, you know, bad movie. He's, he's, he's regarded as one of the best directors at this point in time. But I was still amazed at the subject matter that, you know, that he had to use. And the fact that it was a three-hour movie that it just, just the beats came fast. You know, you didn't have time to space off. You know what I mean? It just It just kept coming at you and at you and at you. And again, for the subject matter... It's not like there was car crashes or car chases or you know gunfights or firefights or anything like that. Um, I I never lost attention to the movie and the three hours flew by. For me. Yeah, if the length of the film is like holding you back, I think that absolutely should not. And I do think also too, I made an effort. I made an effort. I packed my clearance jobs tumbler 
with some wine, some to go, some emotional support wine. And I went by myself to watch it because I didn't, because I'm, you know, I'm a mom and like getting to the movie theater does not happen for me. And I knew I was going to miss it because that has happened before. I'm like, oh, I want to see this in the theater. It's just, it's not for me. I made an effort to see it in the theater because it was like a movie that was made for the theater. And I will say if Oppenheimer did anything, I feel like it showed like cinema does have a place. There are films that are worth going to the movies to see. I know a lot of friends are like, oh, I'll just wait and stream it later because that's our default answer now. But I think this is one that because of the content and the way he filmed it, he really made a good case for like getting people back to the movie theater to watch a movie because it was an impressive film to actually watch in the theater. I agree. So clearly Eric and I... I mean, what's our star rating? Like four or five stars? I give it the maximum number of stars, whatever our ranking is. Highly recommend Oppenheimer. Yes, it would likely be the best or one or, you know, the top two or three best films of the year. Gotta be the best film of the year. I mean, I have I have to say, if, any, if anything comes to close to topping it, I will be shocked. I thought it was, it was good. I think it was good for our industry, for our community. I think any time we can convince people what's going on in national security, even when it makes the government look bad, I think that is one of the true benefits. This is why we're better than China, because we learn from our mistakes, because we can criticize ourselves. Because you can have a film like this. It's like, we did this thing that was terrible back in the 1950s. We've learned. I, I think, like I said, the, the, the mission and the excitement. And the other thing that you mentioned like when you said better than other countries, you know, they made it was a quick it was like a quick sentence or two. It just it was very in passing. But I think it was. Oppenheimer, when they were initially talking, him and Groves were talking about how Germany has a 12-month head start, and he says, no, 18-month head start. And I think something to the effect of his Groves, well, how are we going to, you know, catch up? You know, they have 18 months, you know. And he said, because, he said, Hitler doesn't trust the Jews, and the Jews are the best scientists in Germany. So there is something about keeping, again, diversity, best and brightest, anytime you're excluding groups because of you know your views it is a detriment to the advancement of you know what you're trying to accomplish i think that is one of the great things you know about america is that we are so diverse we bring in immigrants every year some of them end up starting large companies contributing huge roles into government, all sorts of things. And and that's something that Germany was not obviously willing to do. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, yeah, the strength of the teams that we can we can put together, our, our trust in like our workforce, our alliances and partnerships, our diversity of thinking and willing to like try new concepts and innovate. I do think, you know, the U.S., I hope, always has that advantage. I think that is the same one that they had back then is definitely the one that we have today. We talk a lot about the risks, you know, geopolitically because we have these major threat actors, but I exactly what you said. We also have a lot of advantages. Look at us, man. Go see Oppenheimer. It'll, it'll give you renewed faith in America, even though it's super depressing. It'll also make you optimistic just for what Erica said. And even Oppenheimer, he didn't give up on the country too. A lot of people encouraged him. He could have packed up and like sold his wares, you know, pulled a Snowden, gone to Russia or something. And he literally, that was a line that they had in the movie is that like, I love this country, damn it. And one of the things he said, and he, he did say that like at some point, a lot of his, you know, cause in academia, you always have that option. You know, you, there's a lot of crossover. He could have gone somewhere else. He had made an investment in the U S and he didn't take his, brilliant brain capacity somewhere else. So I, I thought that was great too. Eric and I say go see Oppenheimer. 
This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of ClearedCast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.